Hello, welcome to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. On this edition of the podcast, I'll be talking to you guys about AEW World's End. Uh, AEW World's End, it was a solid pay-per-view. It wasn't one of AEW's best pay-per-views that they had throughout the year. If I'm going to rank them, I'll say this is probably their uh, second to least favorite pay-per-view for me for AEW this year. And I'll explain why some of the matches come about. And just how the atmosphere was in one particular match. But AEW World's End, it still was a solid pay-per-view. It wasn't bad at all. But when you look at the pay-per-views that AEW has produced in 2023, you look at them all from top to bottom, you'll probably see how AEW World's End, even though the card was, like, good, the matches and just the atmosphere just didn't match the match card itself. Um, But yeah... I'll get more into it when I talk about certain matches, but let me just start off with the pre-show. The first match you had on the pre-show was uh, Willow Nightingale going against Chris Statlander. Willow Nightingale would win by hitting the Dr. Bomb on Chris Statlander. These two ladies had a good match. Certain parts of the match would be sloppy, Um, and I don't mean sloppy in a bad way. They were probably fatigued. They were probably uh, tired. That's what happens in pro wrestling. Not every move is going to be as crisp as you want it. So I'm not going to crap on them or give them such a bad timing on that. But I believe next time they face each other one-on-one, I guarantee you they'll tweak some of the stuff that they uh, messed up on in their match here. But Will and I didn't go. She beat Chris Statlander. The second match on the pre-show was a 20-man battle royal where the winner gets a TNT championship opportunity anytime they feel the cash in. And... Luchasaurus, or better known now as the rechristened Killswitch, he will win the Battle Royal. So he has an opportunity to cash that in at any time and keep that in mind because this wouldn't be the last time we would hear of Killswitch, Luchasaurus, uh, tonight on World's End. And the next match to end the pre-show, it was FTW Rules match for the FTW Championship between Willa Yuta and Hook. Hook would beat Willa Yuta by submission by making him tap out to the red rum, and Hook would use a piece of a hockey stick that he broke over Willa Yuta's back to add more leverage to the chokehold on Yuta to make Yuta tap out. A solid match between the two. Uh, There's no more I can be say about that. Again, I think Hook needs to be on TV more. I think Hook needs to be getting more reps in in front of the people because something with Hook just didn't really click here. Even though they're in Staten Island, they're in the New York base, and this is supposed to be, like, Hook's place. It just didn't click in there. So, again, I feel that Hook needs to be on television more, and he needs to get those reps in front of the people so that he can gauge the audience and gauge what he's supposed to do in that ring in front of them. But that's my feeling on the pre-show. Now I want to get to the main show. On the main show, we had the first start off was all-star eight-man tag. We had Claudio Castagnoli, Brian Danielson, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia going against the team of Jay White, Jay Lethal, Brody King, and Roosh. And on commentary was Matt Menard, or better known as Daddy Magic. Uh, I like this match because Daniel Garcia, he would get the win for his team by getting Jay Lethal in a jackknife pin when Jay Lethal would go for the lethal injection. And when he does this, uh, the crowd, they would get behind Daniel Garcia when they see Daniel Garcia get the pin on Jay Lethal. And when the referee hits the three, the fans just erupt because the fans love Daniel Garcia. They love his little dance that he does. They love 
the story of Daniel Garcia being an underdog, especially in this match of legitimate champions or former champions of just any variety. Daniel Garcia is like the least accomplished in this matchup, and the people love Daniel Garcia because of his story. And I don't know if people saw this live, but if you're home and you watched the show, you were able to see Brody King kind of get at Matt Menard on commentary. There was a moment where Brody King was beating up on Daniel Garcia outside of the ring, and Brody King walks up to Matt Menard, and you just start seeing him just spaz out on him. And Matt Menard uh, just stands there, and Brody says, yeah, you're not going to do nothing. You ain't going to do crap. And he just shoves Matt Menard. And Matt Menard gets up, and he wants to do something to Brody, but he just stands there again. So you can tell that Brody King and Matt Menard is probably going to have some uh, there's probably going to be a program between those two down the line in Dynamite or probably on the Collision or Rampage, one or the two. So I like that we are adding some storytelling there. And also we got Brian Danielson going against Jay White at a point, and that's one match that we haven't seen. Brian Danielson going against Jay White. That's a match that I want to see down the line one-on-one before Brian uh, hangs up the boot as boots as a full-time uh, wrestler. We got Claudio Castagnoli going against Brody King. So these two big guys going against each other. And there was a moment in this match towards the end where all the wrestlers started getting their stuff in. You had Brian Danielson hit, I believe it was probably Brody King or Roosh with the Busico knee after Roosh did a move to, I believe it was uh, Mark Briscoe. And then after Brian hits the Busico knee on Roosh, you see Jay White come in and hit uh, the Blade Runner on Brian. Claudio will pop in and hit Jay White with the pop-up Insiguri. Uh Jay Lethal will do something to, I believe, Claudio, or was that Brody Keenan does something to Claudio? Oh, yeah, so it was Brody Keenan does something to Claudio, I believe, a rolling clothesline, and then you see Daniel Garcia come and hit Brody King with a uh, teardrop backbreaker, back suplex, and that's when Jay Lethal will look for the uh, lethal injection. But again, this match was a good match to open up the show. And also, after the match, you saw Mark Briscoe and Daniel Garcia doing uh, Daniel Garcia's dance. And then you see Claudio and Brian stopping and looking at Daniel. And Daniel Garcia, he just stops. And he looks it back at Brian. And you see Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia having this little stare-down moment. And this is harking back to their uh, little program that they had, I believe it was last year, where Daniel Garcia was trying to get poached by Brian Danielson to join the Blackpool Combat Club. So I think we're still might be going into that down the line as well. So again, you got a lot of different things to pick off in this, but this was a great way to open up uh, World's End. The next matchup, we had Miro going against Andrade El Idolo with CJ Perry in Andrade's corner. Uh, Miro would win the match by submission thanks to CJ turning on Andrade when Andrade had Miro in the figure eight, and it looked as Miro was going to tap out. CJ would see this, and she would like slide in the ring and swipe Andrade's arms out from underneath him. This would make Andrade collapse and like let go of the hold, and he would get up, look at CJ, and then this allowed Miro to hit his uh, thrust kick on uh, Andrade and then lock in the game over, and that's when Andrade would have to tap out. Now, this was one of the match that the fans didn't really get into until like the end because there was rumors and speculation how this is Andrade's uh, last event in AEW, how he probably gave his two weeks up because there's always been rumors that Andrade wasn't happy with AEW these last couple months and how he can't wait to 
get out from his contract and more likely there's uh, hearsay of him going back to WWE. I don't know if any of that's true. I don't, but the fans in attendance, they felt that way. And that's the only thing I can really say that really like got to this match. Miro and Andrade, they did great. You saw them strike one another. They were able to hang and bang with each other. And the added presence of CJ looking like she was stressed out for Andrade. In reality, she was really stressed out for her husband throughout this whole match. That brought some intrigue to me. Now, with CJ being back with Miro, I hope we get the Redeemer style of Miro back. I hope we get that guy who came into AEW no longer being the best man, but being the guy that was here to take off people's heads, trying to win championships, and then winning the title, and then hold on to the title as a fierce uh, champion, a fierce competitor. I hope we get that Miro back instead of this guy that we have been getting, the guy that's been jealous of his wife being uh, uh, courted by potential suitors to be uh, represented by her. I hope we're not getting that mirror anymore. I hope we get back to the Redeemer mirror, the serious mirror, the guy that everybody was saying, oh my God, this is the guy that we wanted to see in WWE. This is the guy that, oh my God, how did Vince let this guy go? I hope we get that mirror back here with CJ because CJ and Miro or Rusev and Lana, they were always a great pairing together. So hopefully we get that pairing and we get that continuation of them being a good pairing in AEW now. And if this was Andrade's last time being AEW, it wasn't a bad match for him to go out on. And also, he did uh, the job for Miro. So I'm glad that he did that. And uh, if this is the last time, hey, man, he's able to now leave and he'll be able to go back to WWE with uh, his wife. So all well that ends well if this is the last time we see Andrade in AEW. Now, next up, we have the AEW Women's Championship matchup. We had Tony Storm with Luther in her corner going against Rio. Uh, this match, I'll say, was about a good 60-40 Tony Storm. Tony Storm would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting a flip over DDT on Rio. But as I said, this match was good 60-40. Tony Storm dominated a lot of this match. Because if you look at Tony Storm and you look at Rio, you can see how uh, the weight is differentiated from Tony to Riho. I'm not saying Tony is a big girl, but Riho, she is a smaller, petite type woman. So you could tell that she was going to be the one to take a lot of the uh, damage in this matchup, take a lot of the abuse in this matchup against Tony. And also the added of Luther being in this uh, match as a uh, manager for Tony Storm. Luther never ever really did anything in this matchup. There was one particular moment, and here's my example to that, where Tony Storm was outside of the ring and she was next to Luther. Riho, she would jump out of the ring to try to get on Tony, but she would land on Luther. Luther would just hold Riho and then pass her over to Tony. And this when Tony would grab Riho and body slam her. That was something that hasn't been done in some time where a manager just doesn't do anything. Luther really didn't do nothing until, like, Riho got Tony in some type of submission. No, no, it was Tony that got Riho in a submission. And Riho was trying to grab the bottom rope, but Luther grabs the bottom rope and pulls it away from her. And that's when the referee sees it, and he has to throw Luther out and eject him from the match. So once Luther's injected from the match, that's when Riho will start getting her 40 in. 
start beating up on Tony and making Tony uh, feel some of the abuse. But in the end, still, it was Tony Storm that was going to get the win. I don't think anybody thought that Riho was going to beat Tony for the AEW Women's Championship. I think they're not trying to hot potato that title so much. I think they're trying to keep it on Tony because her character right now is uh, one of the hottest characters in AEW right now. The timeless Tony Storm gimmick. So Tony Storm being the AEW Women's Champion is great for her. I hope she's able to elevate the title. That's what I'm hoping for. But the character herself doesn't need it because the character is over in a sense. But it makes sense and I get why they have it on her. Cool. Uh, next up, we have Swerve Strickland going against Dustin Rhodes. Now, originally it was supposed to be Swerve Strickland going against Keith Lee. But Keith Lee was not medically, uh, medically accepted to compete in this matchup. The medical team would not allow him to. So that's the reason why we have Dustin Rhodes going against Swerve. Uh, Swerve would attack Dustin before the bell would ring. He would beat him up, uh, toss him outside of the ring, toss him into the barricades. Uh, Prince Nana, he would get a cinder block from underneath the ring, put Dustin Rhodes' leg on the cinder block, and Swerve would get on the ring apron, jump off, hit a Swerve stomp onto Dustin's legs on the concrete block. And at this moment, I thought, okay, this match is going to get canceled because Dustin, he can't get up on his leg. But you see uh, medical officials come down to help Dustin get on his feet. Uh, referees start coming out from the back to help Dustin up. And Dustin, not being a quitter, he doesn't turn around and walk up the ramp. He turns around and goes right back into the ring, to the referee to ring the bell. And that's when we get Swerve going against Dustin. Uh, Swerve, he would win the match by pinfall, hitting a Swerve stomp on Dustin Rhodes. And here's my thing with this match right here. The fans, they love Swerve. So anything that Swerve did in this match, they got an approval. I mean, Swerve was uh, just an evil man to Dustin here, but people still love Swerve. Swerve is the hottest uh, act of a male talent on the male on the male side of the roster, and they want to see Swerve ascend to the World Heavyweight Championship picture. They want to see him ascend to that main event spot. So as Swerve is beating up on Dustin, is nothing but cheering and cheering and cheering. And once Dustin gets his Licks on Swerve, which, might I add, should not have happened in this matchup. Uh, the crowd was still cheering for Swerve. And when I say Dustin should not have gotten any offense on Swerve in this match, he shouldn't have. His leg got stomped on on concrete block, cinder block. What are we talking about? Dustin should not even be competing in this match. But for him to get any offense on Swerve in this matchup... That shouldn't have happened. This should have been a straight-up mauling and a beatdown by Swerve onto Dustin. So if we're going to say anything, this should have been 100% Swerve, but instead it was about a good 80-20 Swerve to Dustin. And that, again, still was wrong in my eyes. That shouldn't have happened. But in the end, the right result was still the right result. Swerve Strickland beats Dustin Rhodes. And after the match, you would see Swerve looking to the camera saying, don't waste my time with this crap anymore. I'm done with this. I'm about to ascend now. I'm done wasting time on this. No more uh, sidetracking. And you see Swerve start gesturing to his waist and make the championship uh, pose with it, like saying he wants a championship around his waist. So it seems that Swerve's going after a championship, and it seems that Swerve and the Keith Lee whole little chapter that they've been kind of writing and kind of not been writing is officially closed. I think Swerve is not going to go back to that Keith Lee 
position until we know Keefley is fully capable of being in the ring, medically cleared to participate in the style and match that Swerve and Keefley need to compete in. But I don't think we're getting back to that match until probably a year from now, if I'm going to be completely honest, where Swerve is like probably at the top as a world champion and Keefley is trying to be the underdog to get that title off of Swerve. That's just my personal opinion of that. Now, next up comes to the eight-man tag. Ricky Starks, Big Bill, the AEW Tag Team Champions, tagging along with Powerhouse Hobbs and Kanosuke Takeshita, going against Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, Darby Allin, and Sting. Now, this was the match that I mentioned earlier that had the fans feeling a type of way that really kind of put a mood to this pay-per-view. Because Chris Jericho in this matchup, before this event even came to pass, Chris Jericho was hit with, I'm going to say, an allegation. Because there's an allegation going around that Chris Jericho, when AEW was first formed, there was a wrestler uh, named Kylie Ray. And the allegation is that Kylie Ray was hit on by Chris Jericho in his hotel room. And that made Kylie Ray feel the type of way, and she asked for her release from AEW. And in the process of that, she signed an NDA. Now, I don't know if any of that is true at all. People have been running with it. And once that allegation came out, boy, was it a hard time. In this matchup here, Ricky Starks did not want to come close to Chris Jericho at all. As a matter of fact, Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho were the two legal guys in the ring. And Chris Jericho, he's like ready to like, get do their job Ricky starts he starts walking around and he just looks at Chris Jericho and just stops and just flicks him the bird and then he just like tags out to Big Bill and I thought okay that could just be Ricky starts not wanting to wrestle Chris Jericho as a character type deal but as the match will go on you see Big Bill uh doing his business with Chris Jericho you see Powerhouse Hob mess with Chris Jericho you see Kedoske Takesha mess with Chris Jericho Ricky Starks does not touch Chris Jericho at all in this matchup. So I can sense that Ricky Starks has some legitimate problems with Chris Jericho if those allegations are true. And I feel that Ricky Starks feels that those allegations are true. So you have that. Uh, the fans in this matchup, the fans were not liking it. You had the chance of NDA. You had the chance of CM Punk. You had the chance of Kylie Ray in this matchup. Again, this match really put a downer on the event. I mean, dude, once you look back at this match and when you have time, look at this match and you'll see what I'm talking about. This match was a downer. Um, Sammy, he would get the win for his team by hitting a shooting star press on Ricky Starks. But yeah, this match was not the one. If anything, once those allegations came about, they could have set up an injury angle backstage of Chris Jericho and getting beat up by... Big Bill, Powerhouse Hobbs, Kanosuke Takeshita, and even Ricky Starks to even say that, yo, we took Chris Jericho out. Now it's a three-on-four matchup, and they got to find another guy to team up with them. They could have did that, but no. They continued on Chris Jericho because uh, they're going to probably look into that allegation if they are. If they aren't, I have no idea. Tony Khan has to answer for that for himself with his locker room with that. But, yeah, this match was uh, a downer, and you could feel that in the atmosphere, even on television. It was just really weird. Uh, next up, you had the TBS Championship matchup. You had Julia Hart defending her title against Abaddon. Julia Hart would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting a moonsault from the top turnbuckle on Abaddon to retain her championship. 
uh, Sky Blue, she would make her presence known in this matchup when Abaddon would go underneath the ring and she would pull out Sky Blue from underneath there. Uh, Sky Blue's with Julia Hart, kind of as an affiliate to the House of Black. Uh, Abaddon, it was good to see her have a pay-per-view matchup here. I feel that they're trying to put other women in the AEW roster on television and make them a prominent uh, figure on the shows. Abaddon, she's been signed with AEW for a good long time. And she just never was like really promoted or just like featured on the television show before this last month, month and a half. They've been promoting Abaddon and I'm happy that she was able to get this moment in the sun with Julia Hart. And again, just like with Tony Storm, I don't think anybody expected Julia Hart to drop the title to Abaddon here. So for Julia Hart to retain the title, that was kind of a foregone, four bygone uh, conclusion. So we're going to continue on with Julia Hart being the TBS champion. And hopefully uh, we'll see what's next on the agenda for her, who she's defending that title against. Now, next up, we had the TNT championship matchup and a no disqualification match. We had Christian Cage with Nick Wayne and Shayna Wayne in his corner going against Adam Copeland. Adam Copeland, he came out in his WrestleMania, I believe, 22 gear. This was the gear that he wore against Mick Foley. I believe it was when it was in Chicago. Yeah, so it was WrestleMania 22. Uh, Adam Copeland would win the match by pinfall by hitting Christian Cage with kill switch to win the TNT Championship. Now, in this matchup, the weapons that were used were chairs, kendo sticks, a steel rod, a ladder, and the highlight of that part of using the ladder was when Christian and Edge were fighting on top of the ladder. Christian would hit a sunset flip powerbomb off of the ladder on uh, Adam Copeland, and you had tables being used in this. Adam speared Christian through one in the corner, and you had uh, Adam Copeland light a table on fire, and powerbomb Nick Wayne on top of the table, but Nick would, like, clip, the, like, the side of the table so he didn't go through it, but he did feel that flame on his back, so you got that uh, little moment there. Um, Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, they really went for it in this matchup here. They went all out. You saw them fighting in the crowd, like, up the uh, stairs, in the crowd section, and you even had Adam jump off like one of the uh, sections onto Christian Cage and Nick Wayne. So Adam Copeland and Christian Cage, they were just put throwing their bodies out on the lines. And just to think, uh, about a decade ago, both of these men, both Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, they were told, hey, yo, you guys got to retire because we're not trying to risk your health because of your necks. And to see them doing a no disqualification match, seeing them throwing their bodies on the line the way that they did in this matchup, this feels like a big, like, screw you to anybody that doubted them for saying, hey, yo, why are you, why do you want to get back in the ring? Why are you risking your life? I think this was a big screw you to everybody. And I think this was a, okay, I'm going to show you guys how good we are and how we are still able to compete at the level that we know that we can compete. And not have to worry about our necks. And Christian Cage and Adam Copeland, they did it here. They threw everything against the wall. They did what needed to be done. And uh, Adam Copeland, he would be your new TNT champion only for a small couple of, I'll say a minute or two. Because as Adam Copeland was celebrating in the ring, Luchasaurus, he would appear behind Adam and attack him. He would chokeslam Adam Copeland 
and you see Adam laying down, you see Luchasaurus get his contract. And as I said on the pre-show, Luchasaurus has won a contract where he could face for the TNT Championship at any moment of any time. He's about to cash this in. Christian Cage, he would pop in the ring, tell Luchasaurus to hand it to him so he can cash it in. Luchasaurus, he starts looking around because the people are saying no. And Christian Cage is still shouting at Luchasaurus saying, give me the contract. Give it to me. Luchasaurus, he doesn't want to give it to him. But Christian would slap Luchasaurus in the face and say, hand it over. Luchasaurus would hand it over to Christian, feeling dejected. He would leave the ring. Christian would sign his name on the contract, then hand that contract to the referee. The referee would make the match official. Christian would spear Adam to pin Adam to win back the TNT Championship. So Christian is once again your TNT Champion. This was an excellent way for your demons to come back to bite you around the ass. Because if you guys know about anything of somebody cashing in when somebody is vulnerable, Edge Adam Copeland was the first guy in probably wrestling history to do this with the Money in the Bank contract. He won the first ever Money in the Bank. He cashed in on John Cena after John Cena went through a hellacious elimination chamber, I believe, in uh, 2006. So he did that, and he won his first WWE championship by doing that. That's how Edge, Adam Copeland, did that. And now, mad many years later, you're in a new company. You win your first championship after a hellacious match with your ex-best friend. Somebody that has an opportunity to cash in at any time for your said championship attacks you from behind and you get cashed in on and you lose your title. See, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Your demons will catch up to you and Adam's demons catch up to him just in the face of, well, his former best friend, Christian Cage, once again, winning back his TNT championship. So, you know, this rivalry between Christian Cage and Adam Copeland isn't going anywhere. You can see some resentment building up from Luchasaurus. It's going to come to a head with uh, Christian Cage. That's somewhere down the line. That's going to happen. And yeah, I can't wait to see where we might go with this. And I want to know, will we see Jungle Boy go back here and try to talk to Luchasaurus and probably try to get him in his head to say, hey, yo, me and you can do this together. You don't need Christian. He got Nick Wayne. He's throwing you all to the side. Mean you need to get back together and we can ride this thing out and do it the right way. Ourself, mean you. See, that's only if they bring back Jungle Boy as that guy. But again, we got to wait and see with that. But I like where we're going with uh, Christian Cage and Adam not ending their feud and the potential of Luchasaurus screwing over Christian Cage when in due time. Now, next up, we had the finals of the Continental Classic. We had Eddie Kingston going against John Moxley, where the winner would be your first ever Triple Crown uh, champion, AEW, holding the Ring of Honor Championship, holding the New Japan Strong Championship, and holding the Continental Crown uh, Championship. You had Brian Danielson on commentary for this, and Eddie Kingston would beat John Moxley to become your first ever Continental Crown champion by hitting a spinning back fist. When Moxley and Eddie, when it came down towards the end of the match, would just start striking with each other. And that's when Eddie would pull out the spinning back fist, beat John Moxley. Uh, Brian Danielson on this matchup, he, was, he wasn't he was as enthusiastic as John Moxley when John Moxley was out there for Brian when he went against Zack Sabre Jr. But Brian, he was still Brian Danielson. He was giving insight into the wrestling game. He was giving insight into the moves. He was saying 
whenever John Moxley and uh, Eddie would do the striking of the chest, you hear Brian say, come on, Moxley, we don't need to do this. I told you, you don't get into a striking contest with Eddie Kingston. So Brian, he would give his skill and expertise, but he wouldn't be as enthusiastic as a John Moxley. Because you could tell the enthusiasm when John Moxley just starts shouting, kick him in the head, cursing, like that's John Moxley. So again, John Moxley's enthusiasm, Brian Danielson's enthusiasm, both of them on commentary in separate uh, matches. Uh, John Moxley's just enthusiasm is off the charts compared to Brian, but Brian has more technique in the way that he uh, is on commentary. And again, Brian being the master that he is, he would clown Eddie Kingston from time to time. Uh, Nigel, he would stick up and probably try to get at Brian a little bit here. And Nigel, by the way, would get at Brian Danielson in that eight-man tag that I mentioned earlier in the night, in the all-star matchup. Nigel McGinnis has a hatred for Brian, and his hatred for Brian is one of the greatest things because my man's able just to constantly just, like, knack and knock Brian every time he's on commentary. That is great every time I hear it. But, again, uh, Moxley, Eddie Kingston, they did what they were supposed to do. You knew what you were getting. You knew you were getting a uh, punch him style of match. You had a couple slams here and there, but this was more of a striking contest between Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. Uh, Eddie Kingston now being the first ever Triple Crown champion AEW, that's great for him. And this is Eddie Kingston's first time getting a win over John Moxley in their whole entire career as professional wrestlers. That means something to Eddie Kingston as well. And after the match, you saw Eddie Kingston and John Moxley hug one another because they are actual friends in real life. So this means more than just the belts. This was a great moment for Eddie Kingston because John Moxley, we know him. He's gotten his moment in the sun plenty of times in WWE, in AEW. And now Eddie Kingston, he's finally getting his moment in the sun, being a champion, and doing it Eddie Kingston's way. So, congrats to Eddie Kingston for being the first ever Triple Crown champion in AEW. Now, we go off to the main event for the AEW World Championship. We had MJF going against Samoa Joe. In MJF's corner would be Adam Cole. MJF, he would get a special entrance, at least a special entrance video. He would uh, have different people from Staten Island. No, not Staten Island, Long Island. Because this is MJF's hometown. Uh, talk about how MJF is their scumbag. And this was just a very special type of entrance video for MJF. MJF, he would come out. He would play to the Long Island crowd. Uh, Adam Cole, he would make a, a surprise appearance in, in being in MJF's corner. And that would kind of set off Samoa Joe a little bit before the match would uh, commence between MJF and Samoa Joe. But... Joe being a professional, he was still able to do his job against MGF. MGF, he came in with a bad shoulder, taped up. So that was kind of a target throughout this match between him and Joe. And in the end, Samoa Joe is your new AEW World Champion by submission. When Samoa Joe will lock in the Coquina Clutch on MGF. And MGF was not able to get out of that submission. He would just end up passing out. And now we have a new AEW World Champion. This match between Samoa Joe and MGF, I would say for me, um, since they had two matches now, this is their second match, um, I would put this probably at first. 
there was nothing wrong with the Grand Slam match, but this one with knowing that MGF has a bad uh, shoulder, knowing uh, he's in front of his people, knowing MGF has to beat an angry Samoa Joe who learned from his first encounter with MGF at their uh, after their first match at Grand Slam. I mean, this match was better to me because we got to see MGF get hit with a uh, muscle buster on the apron on his bad shoulder. You saw MGF hit Samoa Joe with an F5, but that was uh, assisted by putting Samoa Joe on the top turbuckle first, and MGF grabbed him on his shoulders and then hit an F5. Um, Adam Cole, he was just there as the support system for MGF. He really didn't help MGF, and he didn't really like deter Samoa Joe either. Um, the only thing I can say is whenever Samojo had MJF in the Coquina Clutch at first, MJF would ram Samojo's body into the referee, into the corner, and that would knock the referee down. And that had Samojo let go of the hold. MJF would go over to Adam and ask for the dynamite ring. Adam Cole would kind of like mess with his pockets and everything. He'd pull the ring out and hand it over to MJF, and that's when it was too late. The shark snabbed up his prey, and that's when, again, Samojo locked in the Kokina Clutch, and there was nothing that MGF could do. And with MGF now losing his title, Samojo is now your new AEW World Champion. You see Samojo leave the ring as Adam Cole's getting in the ring to check on MGF, and you see Adam Cole and Samojo look at one another, and Samojo just kind of makes a hand gesture to Cole. We don't see it because the camera doesn't really catch it that well. Samojo would leave the ring, walk up the ramp. Now we have MGF consoling a, like, uh, I'm not going to say sad, but he's not too happy with himself, MGF here. And the crowd is saying that was BS, and Adam Cole saying, yeah, listen to them. You need to listen to what they're saying, because they're on your side. And he's trying to prep up MGF and try to make him feel good about, hey, man, you put on a worthy effort against Samoa Joe. And as they're doing this, you see MGF get to his feet. Adam Cole gets to his feet on the crutches. And you see Adam Cole tell MGF, hey, 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 Max. And you see MGF look outside the ring. And then you see all four of the Devil's henchmen right there. And they get in the ring. One rushes over to Adam and holds him down. The other two rushes over and start beating up on uh, MJF. One of the Devil's guys would grab a steel chair. And now you got... As I said, one of the dudes holding Adam Cole, two guys holding MGF, one guy with a chair. You see him looking over to MGF, walks over and looks like he wants to hit him with the chair, but Adam says, don't you hit him, hit me instead, you SOB. So the guy turns around, looks over at Adam, starts walking to rim, and he's looking at Adam, and now MGF is begging and pleading with the man, don't hit Adam Cole, hit me instead, hit me, hit me. And the guy holds the chair, he winds it up, and he looks like he's about to hit Adam with it, but then the lights go out. Now everybody's in a frenzy, because now we're trying to figure out, okay, what's about to happen next? What's about to go down? And once the light pops back on, you see the four devil uh, henchmen surrounding Adam Cole, who's now sitting in the chair. MJF is by himself, and you see this moment where MGF looks at Adam Cole and Adam Cole has his head down. He pops his head up. He cuts the hair out of his face. 
and you see the devious look on Adam Cole's face, and you see the masked men unmask themselves, and you see it's Mike Bennett, Matt Taven, Roderick Strong, and Wardle. These are the devil and his henchmen. And you see MGF realize what's just happened. He says, oh, come on, man, not you, not you. Anybody else I could have understanding, but not you, man. How could you? How could you? And once he hits that last, how could you? Roger Strong just runs over and hits MJF with a jumping knee to the face. And now the kingdom's running over and just starts stomping out on Max. And you see Warlow just like a thirsty, just a like hungry hyena just just waiting for them just to throw MJF to him. And when he gets MJF, you see Warlow and he even says finally, finally, and he powerbombs MJF and he says, screw you, Max, screw you. Adam Cole, he would get up. He's still wearing a boot on. He takes the devil mask out of his jacket and he puts it on MJF's chest. And that's how AEW World's End would go off with these five guys standing over the prone body of MJF. Now, for people that don't know the symbolism of this, this is MJF fighting his demons. Or better yet, just like as I said with Adam Cole, uh, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Because last year at All Out, MJF debuted this devil character. And how did he do it? He had a group of guys interrupt a ladder match for the winner to win the AEW a world championship like contract that like you could cash in at any time whenever you want to. And that's what happened. MJF, he uses a bit people to get that chip for him. And the people underneath the mask were the guns of uh, Lee Moriarty, Big Bill, Ethan Page, Stokely Hathaway. Those were his people, the firm. There you go. And MJF, that was his people. Now we have a year later. We're back at the exact same position, but this time we had months to uh, expand this storyline of the devil and who the devil henchmen are. And we come to find out that the devil is Adam Cole, while his henchmen are Warlow, the kingdom, and Roger Strong. And every person in this group has some past dealing with MJF. Roger Strong and MJF, I think you don't need to know about that one because these two have been getting at each other for the past months because... Roddy has feel that MGF is constantly trying to wheel his way into Adam Cole and being his best friend, all that garbage. Uh, the Kingdom, you saw how they wanted the Ring of Honor tag team titles. And who was holding them? Adam Cole and MJF. And both Bennett and uh, Taven have history with Adam Cole in Ring of Honor as the Kingdom. So it wasn't hard for Adam Cole to get those two guys to really join his side. And then Warlow. It's like the dawn of time with Warlow and MJF. Warlow was brought in by MJF to be his big bodyguard to protect him at all costs at any time. They had a falling out. Last year they had their match at double or nothing. Warlow beats MJF and there you go. And Warlow's career was never the same. And the funny thing was that match, yes, Warlow got his contract, but what did he do after that? He became a shell of himself. While MGF, he got to become one of the biggest top stars, literally in not just AEW, but in the rest of the wrestling business 
Because if anybody remembers, after he lost to Warlow, the next time that we saw MGF was the next episode of Dynamite, and he let it all out. He started cussing at Tony Tony Khan. He cusses at uh, the fans. He says, fire me. I mean, my man was just gone. And we don't see him until all out. So again, you live by the sword. You die by the sword. Your demons will catch up to you. And MJF, he found that out here with that ending. So now as we go on into the new year, we go into the first episode of Dynamite. My question is, when did Samoa Joe know that Adam Cole was the devil? Because remember, on the last episode of Dynamite, Samoa Joe had a deal with the devil. And that's how MJF lost titles to the devil's henchmen. Because Samoa Joe faked like he had an injury backstage. And then after the match was done, he comes out there and has a chair with him. And he ends up cracking MJF in the back. Because he made a deal with the devil. So again, when did Samoa Joe know that Adam Cole was the devil? And know who the players were that were the devils? I would like to know that... How long was this in the works? Again, there's a lot of multiple questions that we got to know the answer to, that we will hopefully get the answer to on this upcoming episode of Dynamite, but we'll wait and see with that. But um, yeah, as I said, AEW World's End, it was a solid pay-per-view, not one of their best, and it certainly wasn't their lowest pay-per-view. Like I said, it was probably their second to lowest of this year, but it was not the lowest. Um, But it was solid. And if you want my personal feelings on which match you should see see the world title match just because of that match and also because of the ending see the continent of the classic finals eddie kingston getting his big moment see adam copeland going against christian cage for the tnt championship because boy oh boy as i said those two guys they really put it out on the line and see the first match of worlds in the all-star eight-man tag matchup again Every single one of these eight guys, they put it all out there on the line. They did what they were supposed to do. Give those guys a worthy look into. And if you just want to see and cheer for Swerve, hey, go ahead and watch Swerve and go against Dustin Rhodes. That's a match that I feel you could personally skip. But if you just want to Swerve when you drive, hey, go ahead and watch uh, Swerve going against Dustin. Now, with that being said, this has been your AEW World's End Review. I have been G2. This has been the My Two Cents Podcast. If you guys are unaware, I have a Sunday episode out right now. It's me reviewing 2023. Uh, You can go and listen to that. And if you haven't listened to Wrestling Highlights of the Week this past week, it's me basically giving out my feelings on the companies that I've watched this past year, how they've done, their pros and their cons, and also giving out uh, my year-end awards for the rest of the year for WWE, AEW, and so on. You can listen to that episode as well. And also, I have midweek episodes available as well. That's whenever I talk to you guys for 10 to 15 minutes on a Wednesday then play music to get you guys out of here. So if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, you can go listen to them right now. They're available to you at this moment. Now, I think that's all the self-promotion out of the way. Now, with that being said, I love you all. Please be safe. Please be careful. Have a great New Year's. This is New Year's Eve by the time this episode is dropping. But if you listen to this after New Year's, Happy New Year's. Have a safe New Year's. Go into 2024 with good, positive energy. That's all I ask for every single one of you. And just be the best that you can be going forward into 2024. So with that, I love you guys. Please be safe. And you'll hear from me later. Bye-bye now.